Greetings and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting sites, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and many others. Episodes of the podcast also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. And today we're excited to be joined by Dr. Michael Horberg, who has spent more than 25 years caring for patients with HIV-AIDS. He is the National Director of HIV-AIDS for Kaiser Permanente. He joins us for a conversation about the AIDS crisis, his work with patients, and more. But first, welcome to the program, Dr. Horberg. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to join you today. As a licensed physician in the state of Virginia, I'm so excited to uh, discuss our work in HIV, especially that within Kaiser Permanente. Well, we're excited to get going. And so let's start with a bit of history, Dr. Horberg. Public awareness of HIV-AIDS in this nation can be traced to the 1980s, but research indicates some of the first known cases in American soil actually date back several decades earlier, perhaps to the 60s and 70s. Some of the initial reaction to the disease and people infected by it was stigmatizing due to its impact in the LGBTQ community. By 1995, AIDS was the leading cause of death among U.S. men ages 25 to 44. Today, with new treatments available, more than 1 million Americans are said to be living with AIDS, and the death rate has plummeted. With that background, Dr. Horberg, I wonder what observations and perspective you have that you can share about the evolution of AIDS treatment, therapeutics, and public and clinical attitudes towards the disease. It's interesting. When I started in private practice or practicing, which was in Chicago in the late 80s, it had a great deal of stigma. There were still issues of homophobia, and certainly there was also stigma related to HIV. So people wanted safe space but effective places to receive their care. And I started, we all started providing it. At that point, there were very few options, including initially AZT and a lot of single monotherapies, single drugs that weren't necessarily, uh, had some efficacy, some effectiveness, but they weren't sustainable. Then came the thought of trying two drugs in combination. And eventually, in 1995, we really had the major breakthroughs of multi-class, not just one way of attacking the virus, and multiple drugs put together in that famous three-plus combo. That was proven to be very effective, and we saved a lot of lives at that point, although we had lost so, so many in advance. At that point, though, uh, we discovered that these meds, while very effective, did have side effects. And in fact, some of them actually showed physical side effects that time called the buffalo hump or lipodystrophy, lipoatrophy, where your face was sunken in. And for many patients, it looked like they were, in fact, that issue of the facial stigma still existed. However, the drugs got better. Fewer side effects, in fact, even more effective, and put into actually one pill, very what we call single treatment regimen. Today, the drugs are very effective. Fewer side effects, never going to say none, but working together with your clinician, your physician, you can have a very long, effective life without visual side effects. So the stigma has gone down, but not fully, and we still still have many patients who are not open about their HIV status, 
But you need to be open with your physician so that someone experiencing an HIV care can provide you the best care possible. Well, thank you for sharing that perspective. And as someone who was born in the 70s and raised in the 80s, I vividly remember the public fear and panic associated with HIV. And as you mentioned just a moment ago, advances in treatment modalities now mean an HIV diagnosis isn't a death sentence the way perhaps it once was. Still data shows, and you alluded to this, that as of 2017, the AIDS epidemic has infected more than 77 million people across the planet and claimed 35 million lives. You just touched on treatments for patients with this disease a moment ago, but I want to explore a research paper you recently published on clinical infectious diseases that focuses on how healthcare teams must evolve to better treat patients with HIV AIDS. What insights can you share about that work and what new approaches you advocate for among care teams? Well, we had, uh, I have been fortunate in having a few papers. I believe you're referring to the new primary care guidelines, health guidance from HIVMA, HIV Medicine Association or the Infectious Disease Society of America, IDSA. And there, through a group of us, a group of experts, and I was fortunate to co-lead, we developed a set of guidelines. One is creating a welcoming space. And now the number one at-risk group besides young gay men is also transgender population, especially transgender women, male to female. So as a result, you really do need to create a welcoming space, a space without stigma. Other things that are important, it really is the importance of making sure your patients are vaccinated. Even in the time of COVID, and we do we fully acknowledge COVID has created its own issues in terms of how to initiate care. There is still a need for that face-to-face contact and really, at least early on, in-person contact because there are some things you need to do. You do need to be making sure your patients receive the correct vaccination. You do need to be doing that head-to-toe physical, looking for any signs of complications of HIV, comorbidities. And then you do need to do the full laboratory examination. And then from that, determine the best treatment plan, including which antiretroviral therapy to use. It's also becoming more and more clear. The earlier you start antiretroviral, the better it is for the patient. Even patients with what we call low-level viremia, not high levels of virus, and even with higher CD4 counts, that measure of immune control, the earlier you can get that viral load down and keep that CD4 count up, the more successful the care for the patient will be even long term. And now we're talking well over 20 years of successful treatment with lifespans approaching that of uninfected patients. Well, that's a lot of good information you share, and I appreciate that. And we've spent a few minutes on this topic, but I think it's important for people to understand how HIV AIDS actually harms the body and the immune system. So just for clarity's sake, can you provide an overview of the physiological impact of the disease, what it does to the body? It does many things. Number one, the most primary thing, of course, it's doing is attacking the T and B cells of the body, especially the T cells, the CD4 T cells. And by depleting them over time, causing that rapid turnover and eventual depletion of the CD4 cells, that puts the body at risk for opportunistic infections, infections of the body that otherwise be able to treat. And of course, that's severe depletion leading to accelerated infections and exposures, and of course, including TB, 
bacterial infections, including bacterial pneumonia, much higher risk, as well as eventually other mycobacterial infections. And of course, things like Kaposi sarcoma, which normally prior to HIV, we never thought of except in very older age men. So a variety of, of those types of infections. But additionally, we know HIV can attack any, almost any organ, including causing thyroid dysfunction, including causing certainly liver dysfunction, end-stage renal disease, still at higher risk among our African-American population, as well as even cognitive dysfunction. Additionally, HIV is usually acquired these days through sexual transmission. You can often get other STDs. They like to come together in packs, as I, as I always like to say. And so you're at increased risk for the longer-term effects of syphilis, which has a higher rate of infection among people with HIV, higher risk. And so once you get syphilis, it can also be an accelerated course. We think of, of the, in an uninfected population, very long, indolent course, and that it's only in much later years would you see the, the, the effects of neurosyphilis or cardiac effects in syphilis. But in an HIV-positive population, you can see that much sooner. Those are a variety of ways that HIV can attack the body. Well, I appreciate you sharing that expertise with us. And with the technical stuff covered, Dr. Horberg, we have a few other questions for you just to give listeners a bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work that you do. The first one is this. What is one tried and true piece of advice that has served you well in life? I think be curious. Always keep asking the next question. I do a lot of research, including HIV and STDs. The other one is, which my mother would have taught me, be kind. Both, uh, both good pieces of advice. Yeah. Be kind to others and, and be intellectually curious. Always look around corners. I, I think both of those are, are good bits of advice. The next question, sir, and this is an entirely imaginary premise, but in the hypothetical scenario that you could anticipate your final day on Earth, what would you want your last meal to be? Oh, my gosh. Well, it would be completely unhealthy. Let me, let me start with that. <laughs> I think I would want escargot. For some reason, I developed a real love of that. French onion soup, mm-hmm. a real good steak, and cheesecake for dessert. That sounds like a uh, full, what is that, four-course meal, sounds like? Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, and again, totally unrecommended. Do not take that as medical advice. <laughs> Understandable. Well, it's your last day, so uh, you can indulge. The next question, sir, is what's the top item on your bucket list? I'd love to go to Antarctica. I've now had a lot of colleagues who've gone. They say it's arduous, but a part of the world you'll otherwise never see. Yeah, and a part of the world that I guess not many people have seen, unless you're a, a research yeah. scientist or a, or a really adventurous traveler. And finally, sir, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book one album and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks? Oh, wow. Uh, well, also, importantly, I would want to be there, uh, of course, with my husband, uh, who's always my best friend. I think the book would be, I'm going to cheat and say an at the Agatha Christie collection. Okay. Loving Mysteries, favorite album, Probably Elton John. Love, kind, 
third. Uh, you said book. Oh, movie. Yes, sir. Uh, gee, that's a hard one. I, I actually haven't thought about it, but I will say probably one of my all-time absolute favorites, Young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks. Are there any questions before we proceed? I have one question, Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. I beg your pardon? My name, it's pronounced Frankenstein. But aren't you the grandson of the famous Dr. Victor Frankenstein who went into graveyards, dug up freshly buried corpses, and transformed dead components into... Yes! 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 We all know what he did. I love to laugh. That is a classic. And what, uh, you said Elton John, What what's your favorite Elton John song? Actually, uh, well, the, the album is Songs from the West Coast. All right. Well, listen, that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Dr. Michael Horberg of Kaiser Permanente for joining us today and enlightening us about the latest in treatment and ongoing work and patient-centric focused work in HIV AIDS care for patients. So thank you, sir. Thank you so very much. And thank you. Thank, thank all your audience.